You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Wednesday at 8 p.m. Brave New Radio. I am your professor, David Kirkfilp, along with your Dr. Esteban. Emeritus Marconi. That is he. I am I. Emeritus, is that Latin? Does that mean something in Latin? Yes, it is Latin. <laughs> and it means it something means. in Latin. That's right. Notice how when I said Latin, the T, I didn't say Latin, like most right. Jersey people do. I said Latin, hard Latin, but you knew the T was there versus... Uh, Stephanie Grimes with our guest who is in mountain time for our Jersey right. folks. But we are here at Music Biz 101 and more. You may be listening on Brave New Radio or you may be listening to the podcast while walking the dog or swimming in the pool or showering. And we hope you get your underarm pits. We would like real quick to just uh, let you know, go to, go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on the Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook at musicbiz101wp. You can listen to this on iTunes and Sound. Give thanks, Dr. Stabon. Yes, we should. So maybe let us do it. We're okay. going to give thanks to folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss, and Zach Brown. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-com when you are ready. Right. And... We need to give thanks to Christine Oi. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group, F-O-U-R. Christine has helped many professionals all over the world and in other solar systems manage their investments, plan out for the retirement. When somebody like you looking to build a bridge to your financial future, you want to think about the Forefront Group and you want to go to Christine dot Oi. They at Forefront.com. Leave the last oil off for savings. I didn't forget that part for the first time. <laughs> Managing your band, 7th edition, Dr. Esteban. Is that happening? It's happening, man. It feels so good not to be in the day-to-day mix of it, but it's happening. That's right. So we should continue with our radio show, Music Biz 101 and more. We have three three guests tonight, and I wake just by name, and then Dr. Stabon will give us the 
uh, third degree. Our first guest, we have Stephanie Grimes, Associate Manager of Copyright at Song Trust. We have Kellen Barnes, Global Member Services Rep at ASCAP, and Samantha Shank, Multi Accounting Trader at DistroKid. So, Dr. Esteban, you begin. Right. So, Stephanie, why don't you give us a little uh, hourglass version of it? For sure. Well, first, I'd like to say Sam Shank did not turn her mic on, and she definitely knows what Song Trust is. She used to work with us. Um, but uh, Song Trust is a publishing administrator, so you can sign up to our service and still own your copyright, and we'll collect your royalties for you. Um, you can sign up whatever songs you want. It can be partial deal. It can be a general deal, and it's really um, an online service for you to, you know, make sure your copyright is being handled properly and your royalties are being collected. So the, someone, a songwriter, will submit their original material to you. Yes. And you will take care of the collections should they get airplay or live play. Yeah, we primarily, since we are admin, we primarily focus on mechanical and performance royalties rather than sync royalties. Um, we do help clients out with sync if they request our help, but that really is in the ownership of the client to handle those if they would like to. Um, but yeah, once they add songs to our platform, we send them out to our global partners to be registered and we collect. And you charge by the month as a subscription? Uh, no, we actually, when SongTrust first started, I think it was a subscription service, but now it's $100 to sign up. And then we take a 15% commission on what we collect for you. Ah, and they can submit as many as much material as someone wants within the, is it $100 a year or just $100? It's $100 per songwriter. So if you're ah. an artist, you just have yourself, but we also work with managers, um, publishing companies, labels and things like that and handle their admin. So they would, I mean, we also with bigger partners, we do work out deals and negotiate, but our standard would be $100 per client within the account. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, let's jump to Samantha. So Samantha, why don't you explain what you guys do? Sure, so kind of like the name suggests, DistroKid, we are a distribution company, um, specifically digital. So obviously with digital exploding and we're not dealing with CDs anymore, um, DistroKid specifically, you can register with us, upload your music, and then we get your releases to store. So that means, you know, Apple, Spotify, I feel like YouTube, Deezer, we have a bunch of them globally um, and we're trying to expand more and more. But so we're not on the publishing side, we're more on the recorded royalty side, but we take your music and we get it to where you need to be because you can't just go to Spotify and say, check out my cool single. Um, can you please put it up? There's a lot of data aggregation and verification of quality of data and sound that has to go to the store before they will accept it. Um, so DistroKid helps you bridge that gap and get your music there. Right, so are you sort of like TuneCore? Um, TuneCore, I believe, does publishing and distribution, right. if I recall correctly. So the only thing that DistroKid really has to do with publishing is we'll do cover licensing for you. So if mm -hmm. you want to release a cover, we'll work with HFA to get that license for you. Um, right. But we're primarily on the recorded side. So I feel like maybe when you guys reached out to me, I was working at SongTrust and on the publishing side. Um, so I have that knowledge, but DistroKid's not really on the publishing mm -hmm. side of things. Mm -hmm. But I think like, 
in my opinion, if you were trying to get your music out there, collect all your royalties that are out there for you, you're going to want to work with song trust um, or a publishing company, and you're going to want to work with a distribution company to get recorded royalties. So right. I would suggest uh, both of them for sure. <laughs> it's a company called Ditto too, and a, a, one of your competitors. Ditto. I haven't heard of that one. Maybe. I, I thought so. Yeah, there's Ditto, there's CD Baby, there's yeah, TuneCore, oh, there are actually a whole bunch of them. Reverb right. Nation who can do the distribution for you. A distro kid made an announcement today. I saw it on Twitter though. Um, how there's a company, uh, a DSP, a digital service provider like Spotify based in Africa called Boomplay. And DistroKid just uh, announced their arrangement with Boomplay that now they will distribute anybody's music who uploads it to DistroKid to Boomplay. And now you'll get that access of the African, is this Africa? So I don't know if that's the whole continent or certain mm -hmm. countries, but people will now have access to uh, your music via boom play thanks to distro kid right <laughs> okay and what do you guys charge oh i think it's, it depends on i know it's annual and i probably the wrong person to ask i should know this but i'm still fairly new and i just work in royalties and <laughs> not on sales yeah. um but it's an annual fee and i know it depends on kind of what kind of service you want so i think it depends on how many artists you have on your account um mm -hmm. so i believe the more artists the more it costs. I think it starts at 20 and goes up to like 60. So like there's different tiers for like the individual creator up to people who might be managing multiple artists. Um, we also have an option where if I release music and I just want to share my royalties with somebody, um, you can add them as like a teammate and you get like a discounted price. If, it's some, if you're not like releasing music actively, but you just want to participate on the royalties on the income side, um, mm -hmm. there's that option as well. So there's a couple of different, it's not a flat fee. <laughs> okay. Um, but we don't take a commission, which is really great. <laughs> but yeah, the, right. it's interesting landscape right now. Because I feel like the more I learn about different DSPs, some are what you would consider like user-generated content, where you can kind of access the platform yourself and upload things. Right. Um, so YouTube has some of that, but then there's other stuff that you know we register it and submit it to those sources like YouTube that has both or Facebook that has both, um, and can worry about all that. Stuff right. For you. Right. Okay, Kellen. Should they be a member of ASCAP before they do this? Can they be a member of ASCAP before they do this? Yeah, um, so ASCAP is a performance rights organization. So we collect performance royalties for songwriters and publishers. So if you're working with these types of companies, you definitely wanna be a part of ASCAP so you can get paid. Um, performance royalties are royalties from, you know, radio, streaming services, live performance, and then television, film, and commercials. So if you're working with an aggregator or distribution company um, or an administrator, you know, your music is already out there. So you should probably join ASCAP either, you know, before you release your music, that's ideal, or immediately after you release your music. You know, you'll want to register it with us so we can track those royalties. All right. Okay. So Brand X, what's the difference between you and Brand X? BMI is what I'm saying. Oh, BMI. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we get asked that quite a bit. I know. So in essence, if you want to boil it down, ASCAP and BMI do the same thing. We collect performance royalties for writers and publishers. Um, ASCAP is a member-based organization. So we are run by members. Um, everything that we do is for the member. Um, we are licensing um, agreements with companies like Spotify, 
or television channels or radio stations may be slightly different. Um, so you might get paid a little bit differently. I think that for like larger companies like Netflix and Hulu, they're very similar. But for streaming services like Spotify and, and Apple, we find that ours are a little bit different. You might find you get paid a little bit more from us than from BMI. Um, also our, like I said, we're a membership. So we have like a one-time $50 application fee. BMI, you can join as a songwriter for free but your publishing is $150. Mm -hmm. So you could join ASCAP as a writer and publisher for 100 and BMI for 150. So I think that's kind of like the biggest thing there. Do you advocate sing, um, songwriters, budding songwriters to own their own publishing company? Um, yes and no. I, we don't get a whole lot who are already signed to publishing companies. So we would definitely suggest to set up some type of entity they don't necessarily need to have like a business, like an LLC. They can sign up with ASCAP as an individual using like their own social and they would just be tax liable for their royalties. Um, if they are up and coming and are already signed to a publishing company, we may not necessarily advocate for them to sign up as a publisher yet. Um, maybe until some royalties start to roll in or if, we do suggest maybe having a lawyer look over your agreement just to make sure that everything is copacetic um, before kind of moving forward with a publishing membership. Um, typically everything is, is pretty well in line, but it's definitely something we, we try to push for them to at least look into. So if I sign up as a songwriter and I don't have a publishing agreement, then what happens to that 50% of the money? Goes uncollected. So you lose half of your royalty. You will it doesn't go into a black box or anything. Uh, no. no, we don't know to look for it. So it doesn't go collected. Ah, I hope everybody's listening. That's extremely important. It really and, is. And uh, when I was uh, on CBS Records and so on, we had our own publishing company and we did an admin deal with, I can't remember the company now, whoever it was, but that's still the norm for small publishing companies. Yeah. Yeah. We find that a lot of either individually owned um, companies or smaller companies, they may do like admin deals with companies like Song Trust, mm -hmm. or CD Baby, um, who, you know, CD Baby is also a distribution company. So they can also admin for you. Absolutely. Um, and I think TuneCore does as well. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we do see that quite a bit. That's pretty common. Mm -hmm. And Stephanie, you see that, that the many budding sort of songwriters have their own publishing and you're doing the ad mid for them? Yeah, I think Song Trust is a bit of a mixed bag because like Helen said, if you have um, a publisher, you don't necessarily need your own original publisher entity. Um, so we do have plenty of writers who have what I think we call it Song Trust a vanity publisher. So if I'm Stephanie Grimes, the writer. I have Steph Grimes Music as my original publisher and Songtress as the admin. Um, but we certainly have plenty of writers that are just writers without um, their own entity, but are published by Songtress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it extremely popular now to go through one of you guys? Uh, because people are catching on. That's the only way they're going to get their music on the uh, internet. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's the easiest way without having to go through like a label. You don't need a label or a big distributor to get your music. It's kind of like the best DIY option. So I feel like, you know, CD Baby, DistroKid, it kind of lets anybody who's trying to release music. Like I know at DistroKid, we've seen, especially with COVID and people being in lockdown, um, a huge surge in people uploading music because uh, it's the easiest way to do it is to be able to give it to us to take care of and properly distribute to all the sources. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing this with you and then I get signed with um, Sony and they want, we agreed that they're going to, I'm going to go publishing through them. Uh, the works that you have will stay with them or will they, I guess that's a question for what Sony would negotiate with them if they would want their back catalog or not. Probably, yeah. I think at least on the recording side, most of the times we'll see people will take their music down via DistroKid and normally that new company or that label or that new publisher will typically like, or maybe not publisher, but the new label like redistribute that music under their own company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dave, you want to take over? I forget what I was going to say. I was just going to ask something. Okay. Well, we, we have the perfect guests actually. So to, to make this clear to everybody, when a song gets streamed, on we'll call it Spotify. The only way that song is gonna get on Spotify is by dealing with Samantha, Shank, Samantha Shank's company, DistroKid, or a competitor of hers, like we mentioned, TuneCore, CD Baby. That song, they upload it, they get it on all the stores, All we call them DSPs, digital service providers. So Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Angami is one that's based in the Middle East. There's Deezer that's based really big in Europe in the Middle East. Um, I mentioned, uh, well, I already forgot the one I called Boom, Boom, Boom Music or something. I keep thinking Boom. Boom Play. Boom Play, yeah, whatever. The one in Africa. So there, there are many of them. And when, and you everybody, when you sign up through one of these services, you actually have a dashboard and you can see all the stores that DistroKid is uploading those songs to. So when a song is streamed, then it generates three types of royalties. And we have representatives on our panel who represent each of those streams of royalties. When a song streams, it generates a, a royalty for the performance of that song for your master recording. And that's what DistroKid will collect on your behalf. When the song streams, it also has publishing because you wrote the song. There's an underlying song. That's where Stephanie and Song Trust come in because somebody has to collect the publishing for that song. So if you're the songwriter, you're the publisher and you're also the songwriter. So you can go to Song Trust and Stephanie will collect that on your behalf. And that's what they mean by admin. Mm -hmm. Stephanie's company doesn't own the song. They're just collecting the revenue on your behalf. And they're taking, as Stephanie said, that $100 fee to join and then 15% commission. In addition to that, when a song is streamed, whether it's streamed in your headphones or as uh, Teresa was playing for everybody when you were coming into this room, that's also a public performance. And that's where ASCAP comes in because ASCAP is collecting for the public performance of that song. So you guys write the song and you perform and record the song, but you can't do anything with it without these three uh, people on our panel. Does that make sense to everybody in the audience? Does that make sense to the, anybody in the panel? Do any of you have any additional comments? I do have one actually. So yeah. um, with Stephanie's company, Song Trust, right? So if they're an admin, they're also affiliated with ASCAP. So we would pay Song Trust, the publishing royalty of the performance royalty, and they would take 15% and then pay the rest to their client. 
So if work you kind decide of, to have Santras collect that. Yes, if they're the admin. So we're kind of in, interconnected as well. Right. Yeah. Um, I, yes, sorry, I was just gonna say, we also have, um, we are partners with ASCAP and EMI. And when you sign up for Song Trust, if you're not already affiliated with one of those, you can affiliate through us. So we have that level of partnership as well, where if you sign up and you're not affiliated directly through Song Trust, you can affiliate with um, ASCAP, BMI, SOCAN, which is Canada, or IMRO, which is Ireland. So if you're a European um, and paying the $50 fee to ASCAP, you would pay your $100 to us, and that is included in our fee. Now, now if I signed with CSAC, would I need you guys? Uh, we don't have, since CSAC is invitation only, we don't have that partnership. You can't affiliate through CSAC with us, but you can be a CSAC writer and then go to SongTrust for admin. And CSAC now owns Harry Fox, right? And that is for mechanicals collection. Mm -hmm. Does ASCAP collect mechanical royalties? It's a good question. We don't domestically. Um, we can't domestically. Internationally, um, the answer is sometimes. <laughs> uh, we work with other like foreign PROs. There are affiliates mm -hmm. to collect worldwide. And some of those PROs do collect mechanical royalties. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to say like, I think maybe like PRS, which is in the UK and Europe. And I think there's maybe one other one that does mechanical royalties. And that's listed on our statements. And so people tend to call and ask about that because it's not something that we would do domestically. It's a mm -hmm. yes and no kind of question. But in general, in the United States, you're either having a company like Song Trust collect your royalties or as of January 1st, the United States government through the Music Modernization Act of 2017 or 2018, created a new company called the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Mm -hmm. And January 1st, they will they can collect those mechanical royalties on your behalf every time they're streamed on via DistroKid to Spotify. So a good question for Stephanie is, I can join the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective for free, and they can collect my mechanical royalties going forward in the United States. Where does song trusts come in then? Do I not need you anymore? I don't want to say no, um, because uh, I would say to that, do you perform outside of the U.S.? How are your streams in Canada and Europe and things like that? And that's where really song trusts would step in. And, you know, we have hopefully a little bit more publishing knowledge than the average songwriter. So working with the Mechanical Licensing Collective, we have a rep there that we're in really good contact with that. You know, if you don't have to do it yourself and you can collect globally, why would you? Is maybe my perspective. And also, isn't you know, Song Trust is owned by Downtown, correct? Mm -hmm. Downtown Music yeah. Publishing. But Song Trust wasn't Song Trust started. And uh, Samantha, you can also chime in on this since you were there for you know two plus years. Song Trust was started based on technology, right? They're very good at collecting those micro sinks and those royalties that maybe the MLC and other other companies like a song trust might not be able to collect on your behalf. So can you guys get into that a little bit? Do you want to take it, Sam, or do you want me to? Yeah, I'm sure. So I used to work in royalties over at Song Trust, and I would say that our you know our global royalty collection web was ginormous. I think we definitely or I could say we, but I'm not we anymore. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> Song Trust <laughs> um, collects from, I think, the most CMOs out of any really 
administrator you could think of. A lot of like like your Sony's and like your big publishing companies will have people like on the ground in those local territories, which can be advantageous, but we have a foot on the ground or not a foot on the ground collection in, I don't even know, Stephanie, if you have the, like the latest numbers, but I feel like we definitely had the biggest reach of different yeah. territories and affiliations with different societies um, globally. And of course you can go through like ASCAP to collect them um, or BMI, but it can be advantageous to work directly with different societies internationally um, to cut out you know, sometimes it gets you your royalties faster, typically. And I think you also, from my perspective, working with royalty data, it was really cool. I think there's more, because we're getting the source data from the actual society, there's normally more information that's being passed through when it comes to like royalty statements and things that we can look at and pass on to songwriters. Do any of you see a central collection agency in the USA in the near future where an artists can go to one place and get all of their money that's owed to them or a songwriter. Well, that's what the MLC is, that, that they started that. And, and then Kellen, talk about the thing that ASCAP and BMI created that was announced in January. Songview. Um, well, so to kind of jump off of Marconi's question, I do think that there will be something like the MLC, but everything. I think that maybe not in a few years, but maybe in like 10 to 15 years. Um, just from what I've kind of seen so far. Um, but yeah, so ASCAP and BMI uh, launched a, basically like a joint catalog um, in January called Songview. So basically um, we allow as a, like a PRO system, we allow writers to be with, you know, one society and to also work with writers of another society and to register their music with their specific societies um, and for that the, those songs to show up in all societies catalogs essentially everyone who's involved so ASCAP and BMI created a joint catalog for songs that have both ASCAP and BMI writers and publishers so if you're searching for a song that maybe you want to license um, there's a section on both our website and BMI's website Usually it's under a little button that says repertory. Um, you can search the song and it'll tell you if there are ASCAP writers, what their IPI numbers are, um, and of course what their publishers are and their publisher IPI numbers. Um, and it'll also tell you if they are ASCAP and BMI. Um, if there are like CSAC and P, like PRS and whatever, ASCAP has that in our own database but it wouldn't necessarily show up in, in BMIs. That's their own separate, they have their own rules about things like that. Um, ASCAP and BMI don't really work together. Obviously we're competitors, but we thought that this would be kind of a, a good kind of like first step into working together for who's to say, you know, other joint ventures in the future. It's something that's really easy that allows you to do like a one-stop shop looking for writers and publishers of one song type thing. Mm-hmm. Explain what an IPI is. Yeah, um, an IPI number, um, IPI stands for like, I've heard a couple different things. Um, the most common one that I hear it referred to is an international party identifier. Basically, it's like an eight to 11 digit number that's assigned to you by a PRO or by the IPI database, which is through a European PRO called SWISA. Um, that allows you to be credited 
on a song as a songwriter or as a publisher. So a songwriter will have it and then a publisher will have a different IPI number. It's specific to just you. So it's kind of like a fingerprint. That's kind of what we refer to it as. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sandy had a question. She wants to know once you're signed up with ASCAP as a writer, is it for forever? And suppose you don't have any royalties coming in. Are you still a member of ASCAP? Yeah, so um, it's it, your contract renews annually, um, but we wouldn't ever terminate you unless there was like some type of issue. Like if you were like duly affiliated maybe with BMI or something, then we may have to terminate you. Um, but it's a lifelong thing unless you decide to resign. I know that companies like CSAC um, they offer you like a certain type of contract for a certain length. If you don't meet their standards of, I don't know if it's like royalty or streams or something, I'm not really sure what that looks like, but if you don't meet whatever their criteria is after your contract ends, they'll terminate you and they'll tell you, <laughs> and then you come to ASCAP. All right. And BMI is, and B, I was just going to say BMI is free and that's a rolling two-year membership. So you're a member for two years. And if you don't jump out, they automatically re-enroll you for two more years. Mm -hmm. Marco. Exactly. Okay, so what are my uh, disadvantages if my writing partner is with another performing rights organization and I'm with ASCAP? Um, there aren't a whole lot of disadvantages. Some people just think it's purely inconvenient um, because you have to register the song more than once. Mm -hmm. um, once with ASCAP and once with whatever society your co-writers with. Um, the only other thing, I guess there's kind of two things. Um, they may get paid differently than you do. It's completely dependent on the licensing fees that that company has with whatever services your song is being played on. So if your song is being, you know, was on a television show and was on maybe like HBO, we may have a different type of of license with HBO than BMI does. So you might get paid more with ASCAP than your co-writer does with BMI. And that can cause usually conflict between the writers. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we will try to do our best to help resolve. But um, I guess the only kind of other thing is also when you get paid. Um, ASCAP works on a certain type of payment schedule. Other societies do too. Some writers finally get paid quicker than others, but there's not a whole lot we can do about that. It just depends on the company. Is ASCAP getting better at requiring songs that are live to be submitted? I, I understood it was like first, it was the first 10 biggest arenas in the world, then it would trip, trickle down. Are they yeah. still doing that? Um, yes and no. So we are still doing things like that. Um, usually it's like, I think it's the top 30 tours um, based on info we get from Polestar. Um, but then we also allow like your everyday average Joe songwriter who's performing, they can also submit live performance claims. Mm -hmm. um, and then they get paid based on the licensing fee that the venue that they're playing in pays us. If mm -hmm. the venue doesn't pay us a licensing fee, which can happen, um, then we can't pay the writer, which is unfortunate. But then we're also gonna go after that that venue for not having a license. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We've recently expanded. So now we're doing like streaming. So if you're live streaming on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, we're trying to pay you for that as well. It's a little bit different than a regular venue because they pay us a different type of fee. Um, and of course more people are submitting those, but um, we're 
trying to do our best to adjust to that type of live performance now that COVID is mm -hmm. here forever. <laughs> when I was uh, department chair, I used to have to submit programs from midday mm -hmm. um, for any, you know, that anything that wasn't in public domain. Yeah. And they're relying on me to do that. And of course, I had a lot of other things on my desk yeah. before I did that. Seldom did it. Just seldom. That's did okay. <laughs> so even that's like a different type of um, like onstage performance. So that's like more for like, obviously like our classical and jazz writers and right. for those types of performances that come from things like schools and um, like orchestras things like that, we can only pay those types of performances like once a year because of things like that. Because like we know that it, it they happen all the time and we're relying on other people to submit those claims. Mm -hmm. So like they just get a, a big, a lot of money in, in the spring, <laughs> those types of writers. Yeah. If I can chime in um, on the song trust side, I know Song Trust takes that lip submission specifically for that to submit and try and get um, performance royalties for live performance. And from what I saw on the royalty side is that is significantly bigger than like your Spotify streams and whatnot. So I definitely encourage people if you're performing live, I know nobody is right now, but <laughs> when people are again, um, I know that the rates are, tend to be a lot better than, you know, things on Spotify. Absolutely. So if you're, even if you're on, you know, Instagram live, whatever, submit those claims. We want we want to get you paid, especially right now. Why don't we take a step back because the three of you are alums and can we talk about, and you can each take turns, talk about going from being a student to getting internships to then getting that first job at outside of school. So maybe talk about how, how did I get the internships? Cause you each had multiple internships. And then from there, how did I ultimately get a job once I graduated? Stephanie, why don't we start with you? For sure. Um, yeah, during my time, at Wayne Patterson, I did three internships. My first one was at Little Kids Rock um, doing development. And then I was a song trust intern. Um, and then I was an intern at Tommy Boy um, in my final semester. Um, I believe the first internship I had, um, Little Kids Rock emailed you, Philip, and was like, you have any people in interested in my internship? And I said, sure. So I applied and that's how I got that one. Um, my next one at Song Trust, actually, Sam was working there at the time, and I stalked her on LinkedIn to see what she was up to um, and looked into Song Trust. Um, so using my network there. And then my final one, I went to a panel that was run by William Patterson's music program. And I met Rosie from Tommy Boy and made a connection there when I was looking for an internship. That was at a record label i really wanted to do an independent one and so i sent out an email was like hey are you looking for an intern i'm looking for an internship um so that's kind of my journey through internships um once i graduated i really enjoyed my time at song trust i really like the people there um i took some time off after i graduated and i applied um i kept good relationships with the people that I met at Song Trust um, and hopefully had made a good impression. So relied on that kind of when I applied for the job and it was a really quick turnaround between when I applied and when I started it was only a month. So that was a big bonus of being a previous intern. They had a lot of faith in me having, you know, kind of trained me already. So when I was at William Patterson, I did an internship with, it was Memory Lane Music Group slash Royalty Solutions. 
Um, and that was, uh, Philip introduced me to somebody over there. They were just, you know, I was like, if you're looking for an intern, I want some experience in publishing. Publishing is very interesting to me. Um, so I got my foot in the door there. And then after that internship, I went to Song Trust. Um, and the way I got that internship was the Nashville trip, I believe, going to Music Biz, uh, Music Biz Association, that big. Um, I don't know if that happened last year in person, which is very sad to say, but that was a huge networking event. There is where I met the, at the time, general manager of Song Trust. And I was super interested in Song Trust because I had learned about publishing and I thought that Song Trust was really cool because it lets anybody kind of get their foot in the door and collect those publishing royalties. And then I started interning there. And then I actually kind of went back and forth. So after that, I started temping back at Memory Lane after I graduated or kind of at the end, I think my last semester, I was temping there. And then I was looking for a full-time gig, obviously, because you don't want to temp forever. And I just kind of kept my ear to the ground and I love Song Trust. So I was keeping an eye on job postings there. And I saw that a royalties one had popped up. So I applied to that. And as I've said, um, I had that foot in the door already from interning there. The best thing I could say, like in terms of like getting a job after college is like make a good impression when you're interning. And I know like when I was hiring for people, like I know if I interned someone and they left a good impression on me, like Steph said, like you're already trained, you already know the company, you already know the culture, we know you're a good fit. Um, so that is huge is maintaining a good relationship and establishing a good relationship with the people that, you know, you're already working with is really big. And then my last switch from Song Trust to DistroKid, that was actually someone just reached out to me via email. They found me on LinkedIn and thought I'd be a good fit. And then I met with the company and got to know the role and thought that I would also be a good fit <laughs> in terms of me fitting in with that company and my royalties experience. Um, which is, yeah, I guess is the beauty of like, once you have your first job and that second job is kind of cool that I feel like it's hopefully not as hard <laughs> to find that second job. But yeah, I know the, the first one is tough. So yeah, definitely leveraging networks going to, I know it's hard to say because everything's virtual right now, but as much networking as you could do with the current circumstances is definitely the best way to go, I would say. So when you left that first job, was it just time to leave? I'm not asking you to bash song trusts. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, what made you decide to take that that step? It was a very hard decision. I thought like everyone was like, Sam's going to work at Song Trust until she's, you know, it's her last. She's going to retire here. And I love Song Trust so much. But for me, I think it was, I wasn't looking for something, but then when something presented in front of you, I saw the distro kid was very similar to Song Trust, but just on the different side of music, publishing versus recorded royalty collection. And I thought for me, professionally in my development, it made sense for me thinking long-term that I should really get experience on both sides of the coin. Um, so it was nothing, oh my God, I was like, I miss Sankara so much, <laughs> I really do. Um, but for me, like my career goal is thinking about, you know, I wanna be, I wanna be your go-to gal for royalties in the music industry. So doing recording and publishing made a lot of sense for me. All right, Kellen, we have a checkered history for Kellen. Yeah, um, I've done quite a bit that didn't really have anything to do with ASCAP. <laughs> um, so- Surprised. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so I started out my junior year, um, right before junior year, actually, Phil sent me an email. Warner was looking for a college marketing rep. Um, at that time, they were not super focused on big schools. It was kind of a newer program. 
um, I applied and I got the job. It was kind of like a part-time job. It wasn't necessarily an internship, um, but that allowed me to work remotely on campus to promote artists and their new release music. So it, it wasn't necessarily up and coming artists. Um, some of them were, um, but it was a lot of like Bruno Mars, Kelly Clarkson, things like that. Um, I did that for a whole year, but I think I had the advantage uh, being a rep in New Jersey in which I could go to the New York office and kind of like meet people. They always invited me to things, even just to sit on, on meetings. Like they would just allow me to come in for like the day into the New York office and just kind of sit with them um, in, the, in the college marketing department um, or to kind of meet whomever. They would ask, you know, if I'm interested in royalty, if I'm interested in merchandise, um, brand partnerships, things like that, that allowed me to kind of show my face and meet people, which was kind of cool. So I was kind of spoiled there. Um, I did that my entire junior year and through the summer um, after junior year. For the fall of my senior year, um, I moved on from the college rep position and started working still at Warner <laughs> um, as an associate, um, which is one of their two internship programs. They do internships with Atlanta, sorry, Atlantic Records uh, for credit, college credit. And then they do associateships basically just through WIA and uh, WMG um, to do basically anything and you get paid for those. Um, I was with brand partnerships and product licensing. So a different type of licensing <laughs> than what I'm doing now. So it was kind of like t-shirts and merchandise, um, those weird partnerships that you see musicians do when they do like perfumes and cosmetic lines, those types of things, those types of brand partnerships. Um, I did that for a semester. Um, that was all through my connection from being a college marketing rep. And then my uh, spring semester of my senior year, I decided to do something completely different. Um, and I did an internship at Vector Management, Artist Management. They manage Kesha, um, Kings of Leon, Queen Latifah. Um, and that was very low key, very different than what I had done previously. But that I kind of found on my own. Um, I just, that was like an Indeed posting and just applied for that. That was really fun. It was really, really low key. Um, and then when I graduated that May, um, I kind of took a couple weeks off just to like process kind of what I wanted to do. Um, at that time, when I was applying for jobs, there were only jobs at, at I kid you not, Song Trust and ASCAP <laughs> and um, a couple smaller publishing companies. I interviewed at all of those <laughs> companies um, and got stuck with ASCAP. Not got stuck with, I got blessed with ASCAP, <laughs> um, which I, I really like. Um, I, I think you could probably ask Lisa Bremer that when we were learning about PROs initially, like freshman, sophomore year, I told her I didn't want to work at one because it seemed boring. And now I work there at a PRO and it's not as boring as I thought it would be. It's actually quite exciting. It's different, but I like it. Have you been to the national office of ASCAP? Um, not yet. Um, ah. I was supposed to start traveling with the company last March, All going right. to our offices and uh, to Los Angeles first and then to Nashville. And then COVID happened. <laughs> so right. not yet. I've heard it's beautiful, though. I've heard it's absolutely gorgeous. Make sure you go to the ladies room. It's, in, it's incredible. 
I mean, I've been in the men's room, obviously. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> but, but they've spent money. You press a button and all the all the curtains close in the conference room, all white leather, glass. And as an ASCAP member, of course, I was a rebel with the other people saying, this is where my money's going. Because obviously it's after expenses that you to get paid. To be fair, uh, we don't take money from writers and publishers if that helps. We just take an overhead cost from our licensees. Ah. So it's not your money. <laughs> it's William <laughs> Patterson's money because they also pay us a license. Uh, one question for each of you. Can we talk about networking for a moment? Because each of you, like Stephanie, you even used the word network in terms of what you were doing. So can you each talk about networking leading up to the internship and then leading to the job and then in the job, continuing to network? Like Sam, for example, you still knew people because you were able to take this other job. So within the current job, how do you get that first promotion? So talk about networking while, once you're there in the company. And again, we'll start with Stephanie Grimes. Yeah, I felt like when I was a student, I wasn't very good at networking. Like I went to the events that our program put on and, you know, was on LinkedIn, but really didn't think I was networking. But now when I look back, I was, I was paying attention to, I made good relationships with people in school, um, you know, and I think that's really important. You never know who your um, classmates may become in the industry. So that's always really important. I think we think about networking with current people in the industry, you know, networking with the future is really important too. Um, yeah, so I really, I think LinkedIn was really where I did a lot of networking. I also went to the Music Biz Association in Nashville. Um, right. and, and I think in terms of once you have that internship, really just um, not being afraid to ask people to lunch. I know like at SongTrust, I'm an intern mentor and I always encourage my current intern to like ask people who aren't in our on our team to go to lunch to talk to them, um, you know, participate in the Q and A's that your internship put on, add them on LinkedIn with a message. Don't just add people on LinkedIn and hope you know you, they post a job posting on there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you probably are doing more networking than you think, but yeah, just be active on LinkedIn when you can, and honestly, being nice to people is the biggest networking advice. Well, Dave and I used to talk about you as you were so quiet from Oklahoma. And a couple of times in that conversation where we were worried about you making that switch, turning that switch on. So we were very happy to see what you did. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, nice to know after the fact. But um, yeah, I was quiet and I think I still am, which I don't think is um, a bad thing with networking. You just network differently. Um, and, you know, being that nice, quiet person pays off sometimes. Sammy. I agree as a fellow introvert. <laughs> I hated networking. I was like, oh, Philip wants me to go to this thing and talk to these people and I don't want to do it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just being intentional and being genuine and not asking any, everybody you meet for a job. I think um, one mistake I see people is they, at least when I'm looking for people who are applying to certain jobs that I might be hiring for, um, is they'll apply for like every job that we have posted. So when you're networking, you know, try and, you know, make a personal connection with people and be, like I said, genuine and express your interests. And again, like Steph said, even if you don't, even if 
someone, you meet someone and they're not like working at a job that you think you're interested in doesn't mean that it's not valuable having that person because maybe later down the line, they can help you. Or maybe more importantly, I don't think people think about this is maybe you can help them. And I think like sometimes early on in your career, like if you, or just really any time in your career, like if you can help somebody else, they're going to remember that and they're going to return the favor if it ever comes up again. And I don't, I feel like that sounds like sneaky. And again, like Steph said, just like be a nice person. Um, the industry is small. I think a lot of people know each other. A lot of companies have really close relationships and people hop around and um, yeah, just don't be scared to talk to people like I was for most of my college mm -hmm. experience. <laughs> I think for the most part, like, I'm surprised by how nice people are, um, especially like like my experience with SongTrust, like just talking to people that are maybe higher up. Um, it's kind of hard because there's no lunchrooms and no people in person anymore. Um, but yeah, just don't be scared to talk to people. And whether it's at your current job or at some kind of networking event, I know, again, it's so hard right now, but I think there's some virtual stuff going on like this. Like, don't be scared. Like, this would be a great way to say, hey, great job at that panel. You said this thing was interesting. Can I talk to you about your company sometime? Like, that's what you need. I think it's important to have something to talk about and not just reach out blindly. You have to kind of have that like little step in between. KB. I totally, I agree with everything. <laughs> uh, I think I'm very similar to both Sam and Stephanie that like I, I did not care to network, but I did it because Philip made me do it. <laughs> um, and it, it helps you kind of grow some skills. I think that um, if you can definitely kind of get over like the, the hump of being shy or the hump of being an introvert, like fake it till you make it with your confidence a little bit, it can help you kind of grow into being a little bit more extroverted um, as an adult or, you know, however long it takes. Um, and it can definitely be difficult, but um, Sam makes a really good point about if you do something nice for anybody, I think, and then it can always kind of come back and help you later on. Um, this is a really small industry and people move from company to company or area to area of the industry so quickly. Um, and all the time. I mean, I know people who've worked for labels and publishers and distribution companies all in like 10 years, like they've all kind of done it all. And so they kind of remember the nice stuff that you've done for them. And so if they see something that, you know, maybe you would be good at, or maybe they just think of you or whatever, like having that kind of like little nugget, that little gold nugget that can really help you kind of, you know, find that next, next best thing. Um, but also, you know, being kind is great too. <laughs> what goes around comes around. And that's, mm -hmm. I think in this industry, it's key. It can really be key. Oh, I have one last, last comment, David. And that is for the three of you, there always has been this, since I can remember, that outside of the attorneys, this business is run by a bunch of C students. You guys agree or disagree? What do you mean by C students? Am I the only one who doesn't know that? Well, that you wind up being, uh, I'm smarter than them, or I'm quicker than them, or how did they get that job, or that kind of a thing. I have found that the companies that I've worked for, the heads of the companies, didn't start out working in the industry. They started doing something else. I would maybe, I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with that. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean... I guess being a C student doesn't make you a bad student, but um, I would say um, on a daily basis, most of the people I interact with feel really intelligent. I, you know, interact with people in my company. So obviously I'm a little biased there, but I do interact with a lot of people domestically and internationally, especially like at different PROs. And I feel like 
um, it's not so much the individual person that comes through so much as the culture when you're working with people outside of your company is like really the culture of the company that you know different from your expectation of what you would want um and it isn't really necessarily an individual level i gotta also add that i think you know i don't know if we're talking about like textbook smarts here but i think a lot of you guys teach us so many things but i think having an internship and actually being a part of a company and doing a specific role like you just can't teach that out of a textbook um so i think once you actually get into the industry and get that experience it's also super valuable and like one thing that I think maybe has made me successful is just being very curious, you know, always asking questions and reading up on news articles. And that's also a good way to network, especially within your company. Um, or if you're interning is you see a current interesting news thing going on, then you mm-hmm. can use that as an invitation to have a chat with somebody. Um, but I don't think, I mean, I still don't know if I understand what C student means. <laughs> um, well, C, student, C student means somebody just scraped by. I don't think so. In other words. I don't think so. I think I work with a, a lot of oh, you know. people and a lot of people who are, you know, DIY and kind of like, I don't say scrappy, but it's not necessarily people, I don't know, I guess maybe. I don't, right. but I think it's about being curious and being informed. And I don't think it necessarily is like a certain type of intelligence. I think it's more of like a passion and a desire to learn. Yeah, exactly. Um, not so, to say that people aren't smart. <laughs> we always say that. But two out of the three of you have advanced degrees that, most of the people you're working alongside don't have, except possibly your bosses. Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely, I would say probably most people I work with don't have like their master's degree, um, mostly because I think it's not really required like in some no, other, it isn't. probably. Um, it isn't. But yeah, that is very true. I don't think most people probably pursue advanced degrees in music business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need I to wrap agree. it up. We should wrap up because this has been an advanced seminar for all sorts of great reasons and all sorts of great people. So we want to thank our guest, Dr. Esteban, don't we? Yes, we do. We want to Excellent. thank Stephanie Grimes from Song Trust. We want to thank Samantha Shank from DistroKid. And we want to thank Kellen Barnes from ASCAP. Thank you all for this. We want to thank Teresa Abu Daoud and the Songwriters Guild of the Pop Music Program at William Patterson University for putting this together. Teresa did a ton of work for this. So thank you so much, Teresa, for what you did. And I want everybody who is listening and everybody who is live with us right now to note that the three alums that we have on our panel are all women, that the person who basically put this panel together is a woman, that wow. most of the people in the audience right now are women. Mm-hmm. Most of our students have been women. So uh, I wanna give a shout out to all you guys and keep pushing and guys, you're falling behind. So, um, you know, push yourselves because the uh, competition is amazing and we had some great people up here right now. So mm-hmm. uh, all some, uh, some, some props and, and a seal clap. I'm oh, 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 really great. Love you guys. So Dr. Stabon, what do we say at the end of every show? We obviously say, ah! I'll be the
Dial.